Hello and welcome to page one, the Writers Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And wait, Tarek, who's this? Oh, who's that? it's Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been released from the cupboard of dispatching page ones for a special appearance <laughs> on the page one podcast. Tim, Tim is, you may have heard if you've listened to the podcast before, we have referred to the boss in quotes. And Tim is that man. Or legend. I the myth. I don't think we've called you legend. Ah, the man, the legend. The I obviously, person. haven't listened to all of them yet. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, uh, Tarek. This is a one of a special series of episodes we've recorded at the Fringe with comedians to find out about their writing process for their stand-up shows, um, and we recorded these at a variety of venues across Edinburgh. So the sound quality does vary at times. We we sometimes recorded them at the venues themselves. But um, Tarek wasn't able to make all of the interviews, so Tim kindly agreed to step in. Interviewer extraordinaire. Yes, and I think, Tarek, you're out of a job. (laughs) I've been waiting 112 episodes for this day. (laughs) I'm finally free. Well, you've not heard my ones yet, so we'll see see how that goes. We'll see how it goes with the listeners. But yeah, um, so uh, we will get uh, straight into these special episodes we're releasing uh, at least one a day this week. They're very short uh, episodes, but hopefully very interesting and funny, of course. And we'll play a quick advert for a writer's notebook and then we'll get straight into the interview. But for now, on with the podcast. See you later. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Hi, 
Hi and welcome to this special episode of Page One, the Writer's Podcast at the Fringe. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And today we're joined by Tessa Coates. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well thanks for coming (laughs) on to the podcast. So, um, when we have authors and stuff on the podcast, I always ask, did you always want to be a writer? And I know you're a comedian, but you've also done other writing. Was writing always something that was of interest to you? Absolutely, I think. And firstly, may I say, you've got the most beautiful children's storybook voice I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so calming. I feel immediately at ease. Excellent. Oh, and uh, was that in the corner of a bar, and I feel, oh, a gorgeous calm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think so. I always wanted to be a writer. When I was about four, I got, I got, I asked for a typewriter for Christmas, and I had this like, little children's typewriter. And I used to write, constantly write books. This is in the day when you could like whack out a book in an afternoon, yep. bind it, publish it, illustrate it, <laughs> done. You know, soft launch to your dad, done. You know, a couple of extracts by tea time. Like it's um, blurb from your mom. yeah, blurb, perfect. An- another <laughs> sensational book. You know, <laughs> um, so I, l- I love to write. I really love to write. And um, all the you know the sort of as I think is the case for like most women writers is like the sort of Joe March, the Matildas, the all of these sort of char- literary mm. characters that you're like, yes, there I am. You know, um, so I always wanted to be a writer. I and I knew I wanted to be a writer. I did always want to be a comedian, but I didn't actually know it. I just thought laughter was extraordinary. Like even as a child, God, what a pretentious thing to say! Laughter was extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> so I just heard myself from above. But I, I just always thought laughter was amazing. Like I, I um, I remember being like, oh, okay, like if you say the right words in the right order, the grown-ups will laugh. Yeah. Like that to me was just like yeah. alchemy, and um, I, c- I couldn't believe it that you could do that. And so I always was obsessed with being like asking grown ups what they to tell me a joke. To which they, were, when I was about five or six, to which they were always like, was well, so even on even I wouldn't know how to say I know a joke. You know, it's, it's so yeah, hard yeah. if you're asked uh, for a joke yeah, on the spot. Yeah. But they were always and they'd always say like they're all too rude, and I'd be like, go on, tell me a rude one. <laughs> and then like and but then I would also. <laughs> It's always been like, um, I'd love the card, the rude cards and the card shops. Yeah. And I um, would like sort of go and then I would try and repeat the things I'd seen <laughs> on like rude cards. And like, okay, this is crazy. But like, when I was about seven, I'd seen this card that said, why can't women drive? Or why can't women park? Okay. And then when you opened it, it said, it was a picture of a person like holding up their fingers and making a very small amount of space. And it said, because they think this is six inches. Okay. <laughs> So I'm holding up my forefinger and my thumb for everyone <laughs> watching at home, making this mouth space. And, uh, and I was like, okay, Julie, log it. Obviously, I had no, no idea, idea, no yeah, idea yeah. what that meant. And then, large group of family members, adults, all these people, somebody's making a joke about how, you know, so-and-so's wife can't drive. Somebody goes, oh, my God, like, why can't women park? And I go, because I think that's six inches. We're <laughs> 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 rightly like... What? <laughs> and I didn't really get a laugh. I just got some horrified silence, and I bet I probably like intonated it in the wrong way as yeah, well yeah, because like yeah. I didn't so know what I was doing. Exactly. I didn't know what part of the sentence was funny. Yeah. But I remember going it's like out, you know. So I, lo- I just loved it. I always loved, it. but I didn't. I wasn't ever saying I wanted to be a comedian. It's more just I was obsessed yeah. with like with jokes and things. Yeah. Humor is yeah. funny like that though because I remember we've had a conversation before about Mrs. Doubtfire and how I loved that film. And you watch it as a kid, and there's jokes about like vibrators in it, which went right over my head. Oh, they're laughing Are they? at it. Yeah, right. So have you seen the mis- same Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah, it's the same Mrs. Doubtfire. It's a you know. So it's a, it, there's a, a line in it where Mrs. Doubtfire's talking to Pierce 
Brosnan and he's, he's trying to he, she's trying to put her off, him off and she says oh she keeps a keeps a, a power tool in the bedroom oh yeah and as a kid I remember laughing at that I don't understand what it meant but I don't I got, I, it yeah a it's like, dr- like a drill yeah, or something yeah yeah, yeah and, like, I don't know why that'd be funny but she's got a drill of course yeah oh yeah. she keeps a power tool in the yeah. bedroom yeah I remember and now so, kids and humour is a weird thing it can go over your head but you know, you know it's meant to be funny yeah. and you laugh at it because you're meant to laugh at it almost yeah, weird. and also you'll laugh because if the adults are laughing, yeah, they're laughing. Yeah, yeah you exactly. just love that yeah, they're yeah, laughing, yeah, and now you're laughing. Yeah. It feels yeah, absolutely. Um, so you loved writing so much. You you went to anthropology at university. That's correct. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. logical. That's absolutely logical. I think it's because it never really occurred to me that that was like a natural. I'm not very good at sort of forward thinking, and I didn't ever think to go to university for a career. I just was more like, well, this is it. just carrying on education, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so it wasn't ever like, and what job will I have at the end of this? Yeah. Which is why I spent most of my twenties post graduation being like, ah, and now what? <laughs> <laughs> because I hadn't like planned up until this moment. Now anthropology just sounded like the funnest possible of the options yeah. and I didn't really know what it was and um, English felt like a bit of a drag you know like I I, I liked reading too much I didn't want to write these like in yeah. intense essays about it yeah. whereas anthropology was about like monkeys and, and evolution and like and really cool stuff and also about a lot of very boring stuff but I don't know it really, it really appealed to me yeah and, and what was it, what was the the path from anthropology to stand up then the path for anthropology to stand up goes from uh, me leaving. So I did like uh, the university sketch comedy group. At, so I went okay. to Durham. I did the Durham Review, and um, who are very much sort of like you know the Cambridge Footlights, the Oxford Review, except the um, the very dismissed younger cousin. <laughs> you know, like nobody thinks we're prestigious, and we certainly haven't got any alumni. And um, and uh, so I did the Durham Review, and uh, and even then, you know, people were like, "I think you should do comedy." I was like, "Absolutely not! Like that's not a, that's not a career. That's not a thing." Like. That's you can't you can't do a job, and then um, started doing my sketch group, which is called Massive Dad. We started. There were two girls who were in the year above me in Durham Review, and we'd never worked together before. But we all had like sort of two years post graduation of being like, well, we're very sad. Uh, I was a r- runner on a film set, and I worked in PR. I did all these sort of like creative adjacent yeah. jobs, being like, well, that's the job. Like that's what it, if you're doing a job, you have to be serious and do it properly. You know, you can't be doing this fun bit. And then increasingly, I would be a runner on these film sets where I was like, I don't think that... I was like, and I kept... At one point, I was like, I think if you say that line the other way around, it, it will get a laugh. I didn't say anything. Obviously, I didn't say anything. Imagine the runner being like, sorry, can I just suggest some ideas? <laughs> but like, slowly, my sort of confidence of being like, ah, oh, I don't know if everybody is as good as... Just because I'm the youngest and the most junior doesn't necessarily mean I'm the worst yeah. here. Like, and being like, oh, okay. And especially like men, like maybe there are these men who are like have risen to these very powerful roles you know and I'm not actually sure they're that, they're that good and then um, we started doing comedy and then we came to the Edinburgh Fringe three times and then and even then people were like would you ever do stand up and I was like never absolutely never 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 and then the year that we decided we weren't going I was just suddenly like I think I've got I think I've got to do this and it's felt like I, I remember sitting in the Pleasance Courtyard and I was like oh my god it's, I've, got to, I've got to do it I'm, I'm sorry I'm coming next year and I'm going to do a, a solo show yeah and and was it, you know, we've asked other guests about this as well, but did you have that fear that I imagine a lot of people have before the first stand-up routine? Even though you'd done the the, the review stuff, that was with other people, I suppose. Absolutely. I went own. to, um, it doesn't exist anymore, but I didn't tell anyone I was going, and I went to a show called Comedy Virgins in Stockwell in London. On a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday night, did a anyone could go and it was a bringer night you had to say you had to bring somebody and you could do five minutes 
and I didn't have anyone to bring because I didn't want to tell anyone I was doing it. And they were like, you bought someone? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just pointed to like another man. <laughs> I was like, he's, he's with me. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And they let me in and I remember I'd, done, I'd come and done this impression. I'd got this character because I was like, I still wanted to really like hide behind a character. And my character was me, but I was 85 and it was set in the future and it was about like, I was trying to make this sort of very political point about like, you know, we're really cross with people, elderly people now because they don't have as progressive views as we do but in the future you know all our grandchildren will sort of be having sex with their robots in like in the living room or whatever and we'll think like actually that's actually not great we're trying to have dinner and then we'll be like grandma like be more progressive or whatever and um so that was like again it was like so convoluted and weird and not funny and uh but then in the middle of it and no one was really laughing and then in the middle someone either like something got up on this sort of like light fitting fell down and i remember sort of i reacted to it like in character and i did this whole bit and everyone was really laughing and i was like oh okay maybe it's more this and yeah. i'm a bit more yeah. present and maybe i'm not doing this weird character who's <laughs> me but 85 you know <laughs> like maybe it's that and um but no the fear was enormous like I remember being, I was violently sick in the toilets before, I, and I wanted to leave. Several times. And, and even the whole day, because I worked at, I worked at Sainsbury's magazine at the time, and the whole day everyone kept being like, are you going to write that article about broad beans? As I was just like, like Vietnam staring like, out the window, like shaking and being like, and, and being like, it's seven hours till the show, six hours till the show, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas now I'd be like, you know, you, you, the more experience you have, the more you just take things yeah. in your stride. And well, well, what's your, what's your writing style like then? So do you know, I mean, do you do you approach it, uh, your your stuff as in like I've got a theme I want to talk about, or do you look at it first from the gag or the punchline and build around that? How do you approach it? So the it? the first my very first show is called Primates, and Primates was absolutely based on my degree with this anthropology degree, and it was basically just facts from my three years at university that yeah. I thought were amazing, and things I told people at parties in the kitchen, you know, and so I basically honed my <laughs> my storytelling, you know, and just telling it to people. And then I was like, and so it felt like it was all really there. And I remember I didn't, so February I go to this Stockwell comedy gig, do five minutes. Then March I say to Burke's Nest, who are this incredible production company, I want to do a show this year, do you want to produce me? And they were like, this year? And they were like, have you done it? And I was like, yeah, I've done five minutes at comedy version. <laughs> I think I'm I just six inches gag as a kid. I've got that absolute yeah. banger in the pocket, so that's, <laughs> that's ready to go. I need to fill 58 more minutes. And um, people will be laughing so much about that. <laughs> the barking joke, we don't need anything else. And... Um, you know, they were like, what if you don't go this year? What if you split a half hour on the free fringe? Or, you know, I was like, ah, uh-uh, like, I'm ready. And also, it turns out I've got ADHD, so I'm extremely impulsive. <laughs> and I make rec, but I was like, no, I, I feel quite, I can do it. And I was right. Like, I, you know, it, it felt like it, I know it felt very short amount of time, but I had been doing comedy a long time. Yeah. I had sat in the back of, endless mixed build gigs in which I had seen people make sort of stand-up mistakes. I was like, oh, you don't know why we don't like that. Uh, but And it's not for the reason you think. And, you know, like, don't be cross with the audience and don't do this. And, like, you know, I really was very clear about what it was I wanted to yeah. do. And then the stuff was just... I, it was all the stuff I was in my head and had been sort of my whole life. Um, and then my second show, much, much harder because as with everyone doing a debut something like you've been working on that and for however yeah. many years even if you haven't actually been working yes. you've, you've been thinking about it whereas your next one you finish and, and then people are like right off you go then yeah. One, yeah. again yeah. <laughs> you know, in 11 months you've got to yeah. do a yeah. totally new one and you're like oh no um, so again that one the, the first one was about evolution and why we fall in love with, with bad men basically that was very much based on me and a series of bad men <laughs> and, uh, or me making sort of reckless love choices so it was like the theme was really strong and really there and the second one was about again then I felt like a bit more sort of corralled into being like okay I've got to have this other a big point and I've got to do all this stuff 
and it became about gender politics. But actually, when I sort of stepped away from it a bit, I was like, maybe it could just be a bit more funny, you know, than having to make a point. I think if, if you feel very strongly about something, then that's an amazing place to start. But if you feel you have to make a point, you're going to make a bad show. Yeah. Yeah. If you sort of retrofit something yeah. into it. Like this year, the show's called Tessa Coates, Get Your Tessa Coates You've Pulled. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> it's just a stupid show. It's just a series of stories and, and nothing. It doesn't have a theme. It doesn't yeah. have a point. And it's definitely the funnest show I've ever made. Like, I'm really... I'm not like proud of it and like wow what a great piece but I'm like oh this is objectively the funniest yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. and it's because I didn't try to be like what's my point what's my thesis you know if yeah. that's natural then amazing but if it's not don't worry about it yeah. and, and, and what you were saying there about the you know comedy writing I suppose is different from other forms of writing in that it's not just the words themselves mm. and the order of the words but it's also how you say it how Absolutely. you deliver it and the timing and all of this sort oh of stuff oh my god and is that is that something that comes naturally is that something that you work on that you deliver one way one show and then say right that didn't quite land there I'll change it a bit uh, definitely yes I, uh, I try as much as I can not to get too in my head about yeah. the delivery of something because I think once you're panicking about that it's going to come out right, wrong yeah. so the more that you can sort of just stay present with it and like be in the in the not like, be in the moment, but like, like there is one joke in my show that relies on a particular tonal <laughs> delivery, and for like the two minutes coming up to it, I'm thinking, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> You've got to say, blah, 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 blah. You've got to pronounce it, and it's like inflect it in a very yeah. particular way, and it makes me very pan like panicked. So I think, um, but no, absolutely, it, it's amazing, and this is why I like love going to see like work in progresses and people mm -hmm. work on stuff because I'm like, ah, oh, you worked out that that joke needed, to, even though the material was all there and the stuff was all there, it needed to be slightly, slightly different, and yeah. that's the thing. Like, it's the maths of comedy is sort of amazing that like just tiny things being out is what's going to cause that to either get a massive laugh or no laugh, yeah. Yeah. and I think it's incredible. And, yeah. and, and writing stand up seems like a very different experience to writing like authors we've talked to in the past the it's a very solitary experience of sitting in a room by themselves in their own head mm. you know bang it out and then they <clears throat> send the book off and that's their thing done whereas it seems stand up way more than even script writing is it's a collaboration of, or not, not collaboration but you're testing stuff you're, 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 you're trying it you're watching it you're, you're refining it you're working on it continuously with other people in a group environment almost yeah it's it's a hundred percent a group environment. It's stand up is absolutely being in sketch comedy, but the other half of your sketch group don't don't have any yeah. ideas. Yeah. <laughs> they just you just yeah. you need to be doing it. And that's the thing about stand up is like, you know, you, you think oh this is good, and you think about it on the bus, and then you go there and you try it out, and the people tell you if it is or is not a joke. Um, it's amazing. And then so my my very first show, Primates, um, got picked up. Uh, and this sounds like a joke but isn't a joke like it got <laughs> picked up by the Disney Channel um, so it was, it was bought by ABC and they asked me to make it into a pilot to, as an American sitcom which is something like so preposterously out of my league at the time and like out of my depth yeah. I'd never been for television like I couldn't do any of these things like Fleabag had just sort of taken off so they were very much like are you British? do you want to <laughs> do, do you want to have a go? you know like they were just like yeah have a why not? and so and I truly went mad because I'd never been on my own like that before like I did stand up on my own of course but like that's with the audience yeah. so I'd never just like been in a room and I didn't know how to write television I was sort of buying all these sitting on the floor of the library you know reading all these books trying to do is like okay A plot B plot yeah. C plot yeah. whereas I really I love live comedy like I love the magic of being in the room like I love when just like I love with like to me a glass falls over and we're all we're all present for a thing that only can happen once yeah, yeah. a dream you know so like 
I really love other people, and so to be alone in a room with just with the words, I was like, I'm going out of my mind here. <laughs> like so, and then the first time I sort of heard it read aloud, I almost burst into tears because I was like, Oh my god, okay, there's, there are there are jokes in here, and like, and there are people. <laughs> also, and, it's it's you're then writing something which you're then watching someone else read, right? Yeah. So it's like it's yeah. so not, not only have you written it in a way that you would say it, but then you're watching someone else read your words, and maybe get yeah. intonation wrong or the punchline yeah. or the delivery wrong, and that it must be difficult. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It, it definitely. I mean, it's not. I don't know if it's if it's difficult so much. I think it's a real like. It's quite, very cool. Um, to me, it was an amazing thing. I had my pilot read aloud, and I had in it two. It's set in a university, and I had these two white laboratory mice who had their whole own plot. <laughs> like, and so there was, which ABC really did not care for. <laughs> they, they kept being like, "Could we lose the mice?" And I was like, "Absolutely not. <laughs> the mice are staying." So these mice stay in this in this cage, and they can talk and they talk to each other. The the, the humans can't. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and uh, they just sort of talk about stuff, and they're called um, they're called Freud and um, Levi Strauss. So they're named after scientists, and they sort of are very very smart mice, and they talk. But they're laboratory mice, so they're you know, and they make all these sort of references. But to me, they were old American men, and um, like at one point, they have like a, a tea light candle, and they have those like miniature marshmallows on like a cocktail <laughs> stick, and like they do all sort of adorable yeah. miniature like yeah, the borrowers yeah. stuff, yeah, like yeah, just yeah, like yeah. Just, just lovely. So to me, they were these like old American men scientists, and I hadn't written anything about them. In the, I just called them by their names, had all their stuff, and then when we read the pilot. The, uh, the two people who were reading the mics uh, read them as uh, as Germans because of course Freud and Leo oh, were and so I was like yeah. oh my god and I like, read them in these European accents yeah. and I remember being like I didn't mind I was like oh adorable and why not and I was like okay I was like how amazing that people can take your work and interpret it yeah. in however way they were it was really exciting for me and I was such a shock and I was like of course you think mm-hmm. Freud is going to you're going to read Freud the mouse in a in European accent yeah. that's so interesting to me um, and so it's um, but definitely I would if you felt more precious about the stuff I think that must be very overwhelming for yeah. people. Um, to me, I think it's it's still too exciting and too much of a privilege and too like cool to be hung up about it. Yeah. But definitely, I know if you'd like, you know, if I'm sure other authors who have like lived with their characters for a very long time, mm. and then they see like the film adaptation, and they're like, "That's not him. That's <laughs> not who he's supposed to be." It, it's funny when we speak to authors who have film adap- adaptations. They almost uh, often they often say, "Right, that's a separate thing," and they almost kind of in their head cut themselves off from it yeah you know it's almost like they, they're setting themselves up for disappointment they're saying right the book is the book and that's mine and I'm happy with that and that's on the shelf and someone can always mm. come back to yeah. the book and the film is the film and it's mm. a separate thing entirely and it has to play to the strengths of the medium that yeah. it's in like it's yes, not yes. work it has to be changed I think where the where on previous guests that we've had on where the pain has come is where they kind of try and stay involved and but they want it to hew too close to the book. And yeah. Obviously, it can, and it can, it can cause some confusion there. I think. Mm, so, mm. I mean, yeah. I mean, am I right to say that you are now working on a show with Greg Daniels of US that is, Office that, Parks and Rec? Uh, that, that is the one. That is the mice show. So well, that's, was, this is the mice that's show. That's the mice oh, show. Okay, awesome. That's the mice show. So Greg was my absolute champion vis-a-vis the mice like we'd have these conference calls and, and ABC were like we need to lose the mice and Greg was like to, to, my real, to his real credit Greg, Greg was like you bought her because of her voice and her point of view and you thought she was interesting and she is giving you her voice and her point of view and things that are interesting and you are repeatedly taking yeah. them away from her I remember being like woo <laughs> but also he like didn't care for you know network television so he was <laughs> and he's very rich so he can say whatever he wants um, so this was the this was the show and it okay. was in a really amazing but completely because I was so out of my depth and I was so underconfident in everything like I 
you know, I just felt like I was just like hurtling along on a roller coaster, being like, okay, I guess we're doing we're doing this now. And then um, it was sold from ABC to Quibi. Again, the whole thing oh. just feels insane. <laughs> so they didn't ask me; they just like you live with Quibi yeah. now. Yeah. And I was like, and what is Quibi? <laughs> yeah. And then Quibi, if anyone listening knows, is this like. Um, insane sorry a, a fantastic uh, streaming platform that was on your phone and um, was like designed to be in quick bites yeah. and um, Spielberg was a big fan of it wasn't he? lots of people were a big yeah. fan because uh, the founder had 10 billion dollars so <laughs> a lot of people said they were a fan of the idea you know yeah. we were all like oh this is a cash cow that we'll ride for as long as possible <laughs> Um, so it launched in March 2020 uh, about a week after global lockdown <laughs> and its whole thing was like you know if you're on the tube if you're on your way to work if you're doing this and everyone was like should we rethink this should we rethink this we're like we've got 10 billion dollars we're plowing ahead so I am um, all through lockdown I rewrote all of 2020 I rewrote the pilot as a full series and I wrote um, 21 episodes admittedly they were only 10 minutes long but they were quick bites but it was a real the pilot writing had been so intense and had happened so fast like in October they bought it and in January had to turn the pilot in but I'd never written for television before I didn't know like what a cold open was I didn't know what a tag was I didn't know what anything was and I just kept like oh my god oh my god oh my god I had such bad imposter syndrome and then by the time we got to Quibi I was like okay I think I can do this actually and um I just really knuckled down and I and I wrote this whole series and I remember being like and no one's really read it because it got handed into Quibi Quibi green lit it and then Quibi went bankrupt <laughs> so that was my Quibi journey but it was like I'm really really proud of that yeah, yeah. series and a great, a, a great learning experience the learning experience is unreal people, yeah. yeah with these incredible people yeah. and people who are qu- quite mad the people who are amazing yeah. you know all this sort of smorgasbord and like a one American woman produced when I was like I'm so, I can't do this like I'm not as good as you think I am like please why have you bought me she sort of held me by the shoulders and she was like mediocre white men get given this opportunity every day <laughs> and when it comes to them they say yes this is my time and you are a thousand times more talented than them and so you have to say this is my time and I was like okay this is my time <laughs> so, and it's really something I've taken if nothing else like what a thing to take forward to be like don't say oh I can't do it when the opportunity comes yeah. be like yeah. even when you're like I can't do this be like I can do this you know here I go and then style it out and work it out and hope that you make it so far that by the time people realise you can't do it you're, too you're in too deep Chess cash baby we're making the film could be scoring does that mean that it can't be made ever or is it it had a, it had, uh, it initially yes and we've just very soon we will come to the uh, it returned the rights of it returned right, to okay. me so I think it, it was such an insane process the whole of this writing experience that when Quibi went under I um, and ha- having had it greenlit and being like we're going to production yes. like we, this is the press release we're about to announce it like all of this and then to be like it's gone, <laughs> it's gone under I had a pina colada in a can to uh, and had a real like and a bit of a cry and then I was like okay like actually I've been on this experience for such a long time you know, like maybe it's okay to sort of put this down for a bit, and I sort of locked it in a drawer, and I haven't tr- truly haven't read it since then, and I'm excited to like yeah go back, go back and yeah. be like, oh, some of this is quite crap, <laughs> or to be like, oh, okay, there's some good stuff yeah, here, yeah, and like yeah. what I'd really like to because it's written for an American audience and and set in an American university, and what I'd like to do is repurpose it and make it as a British show because I think it's still really, I think it's got really fun ideas in yeah. there. It's got some mice for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. I'd watch that. Right for the mice alone, <laughs> <laughs> just, just the mice. Yeah. And so. Uh, Obviously, you're here at the Fringe. Ed, do you want to tell us a bit about your show? 
Sure. It's um, uh, test coat. Get your test coats you've pulled. It's at 6 p.m. in the beside every day, and um, lost a lot of confidence with the title because I didn't want people to think it was going to be raunchy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just very well. People think it's going to be a sexy show. Um, but it's been. Um, we're on day three now, and it's been. Um, today was just like what a dream. It was a really like lovely crowd, and this, today was the first day I was like, okay, I think this is a. This is a show. Yep. That's a sort of the fringe um, roller coaster. Is one day you're like, I'm a genius, <laughs> and then you're like, I'm the worst person that's ever lived. So, um, uh, how do you pick yourself up? As you know, because it must happen to every comedian that sometimes you just have a terrible night. Yeah. The audience doesn't buy it. I mean, I think you just work. When I'm doing my sh- my my own, sh- or even when I'm on stage, like if I if it starts badly, and I think okay. You hang in there, and we're gonna we're gonna have you by the end, and they and I do always manage to get them by the yeah. end. But sometimes you just have to be like, okay, everyone's having their own weird day. People have come in cross that like you yeah. never know what's going on yeah. with people, and then just like sort of try your hardest. And also like, I remember um, Al Roberts and Sheeps. Um, we once was saying to me that like you know you do a gig and you do your like absolute solid gold banger sketch or whatever. You like this is the line, absolutely kills. And if that doesn't go well you sort of use that as the marker of like what the capacity for laughter in this space is and then if you don't and then you don't like sort of judge anything right, else okay, you're doing yeah. uh-huh. against it because you're like well we've hit the back that's if that's what the banger that, is capable of yeah, yeah, like yeah. let's not be ourselves up and so it's like so you sort of use your banger as like the canary down the mine yeah, to sort yeah. of like check if there that's is gas you know yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the thing is even if you're like okay there's gas you're still like contractually obliged to stay in the gas until the end of your time you don't expect people to be alive at the end of the show exactly <laughs> yeah. you sort of have to just be like okay that's what that's where the bar is and you can you can try your best to like get them over this bar but you mustn't beat yourself up mm. you know and, and just to be like that's the thing I'm coming like who's this and all this thing we're talking about like context and the alchemy of it and like it's yeah. so mad like ethereal to hold on to like you don't know what people have been up to today yeah. and yeah. you know whether they want to laugh and we've all been to shows where you're like this is objectively very good but I'm, I'm so tired right yeah. Yeah. and yeah, I've had yeah, a potato totally. and I might be sick at any time <laughs> you know and, and for people who are breaking in now who are listening what kind of advice would you have for someone who's starting to go into the stand up to go into stand up yeah I think if you want to go into stand up I would say like wherever you live find your local sort of mixed bill uh, or like beginners night or you know whatever of like people just trying it out for the first time Um, and if there isn't one start one like Mm. every pub has got a room above it like just start a a comedy night and um, and just go out and watch as much comedy as you can and not the like people at the O2 like go and watch it in a pub Mm and see how low the bar is like see <laughs> what people are doing you yeah. know see this like really you know so the first time I ever did it um, or the first time massive, we ever did a Massive Dad um, sketch we found like the weirdest night we possibly could and um, we went there and um, just because we were like we didn't want anyone to know we were doing it we like yeah. we went way out of town and the woman on before us um, got these huge bunch of carrots out and then played them like a violin and I remember being like God bless you and, <laughs> and why well, not you know and then, what a great act to follow right that's and perfect. I remember just being like yeah okay everyone's just a weird old freak who, <laughs> who thinks they want to do some jokes you know like just like if you um, you know my grandma when I said oh, my grandma was I used to have this joke in the beginning of my, my show my very first show that I said to my grandma I wanted to do a stand-up show and she said you know who's gonna who, who's going to write it and I said I'm going to write it grandma and she goes oh you'll be ever so sad when nobody comes <laughs> and, uh, and that's really how and I was like thank you grandma and um, but like it, it's really how she felt she was so worried for me because to her a stand-up was like um, Miranda Hart you know playing mm-hmm. the O2 yeah, yeah, yeah. so she was like but what would you mean yeah, you're going to yeah. do stand-up but if you are just like stand-up is to seven people above a pub and maybe in ten yeah. minutes you get one laugh then you're like okay that's something people can do yeah. I think yeah. it's just like 
take all your assumptions about what you can achieve and what you are like off your shoulders and just keep doing it and like oh my nothing is as valuable as experience and just like because you could you could write in your room for a year and nothing will be as useful as going up tonight and just trying it out like you'll never you'll never understand how how, what live is like and um, and don't judge yourself against anybody else of your peers or who you want to be and also like keep working until you find what your particular I'm going to use a wanky expression which is spark but like find the thing about you that is unique yeah. because yeah. and everyone starts off just like doing an impression basically of their famous com- yeah. favourite comedian yeah. and like whatever whether that's like Eddie Izzard or, or, or like whatever you're like oh they did these cool characters yeah. or they did this and so I'm going to do that and then somewhere along the way someone will be like oh wow when you started talking about your like passion for Greek pots like you really lit up and yeah. we were really yeah. like with you like tell us more about that because everyone is a as we've established a little freak and if we can hear about your yeah. freak thing or and ever, even if you're like I haven't got a cool story or a cool dad or a cool because some people have got like you know grew up in a cult and like you know yeah. or like you know fled the military or did uh, you know yeah. got yeah. lost at sea or like people have got cool stories and you might think like I haven't got one like that but like everyone's got their own cool thing about yeah. them and if you can like tap into that and talk about it I think I think all creative stuff is similar to that in the yeah. sense that you start off imitating, imitating. people that you admire yeah. and you like and then it takes time to find your voice and you kind of make your yeah. own little area your own little kind of yeah, voice yeah. That. and so, also I think what you were saying about you know getting out there it's the same with writing fiction or something you can spend ages thinking oh I've got to plan it perfectly and all this yeah no one can see it till it's exactly perfect no 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 try and do it and then see what the reaction is I think it's like if you've said at a party more than three times or over the course of you know the year if you hit the three the three person mark where you've said I'm going to write a book or I'm going to do stand up or I'm going to do this uh oh looks like you've got to do it (laughs) stop that otherwise you become a bitter old soul you know and it's so easy to be like I could do that it's like yeah you probably could it's so easy to say you could do it and so hard to actually try yeah so um, for those listening where and when is your show 6pm Pleasant Facade in the Pleasant's Courtyard it might actually be 6.05 but Get there early. Get there early. Get it. It's all like 155, 605. It's such a weird thing. Maybe clear the room. Maybe clear the room, yeah. It is, but like, why not? It's not necessary, is it? And the final show, best and worst heckle you've had in your career, apart from the six inches. Oh my god. Oh my god! It's like asking, "What's your favorite?" What? Tell me a joke. People, I'm actually very lucky. I mean, touch wood. People don't like rudely heckle me. We're just kind of people to people chat to me quite a lot. I think because I set a very like casual and very conversational tone. People really just like sometimes they'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and I'll be like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah, I just I I know." And you're like, "Okay, fantastic." (laughs) You know, but like once I was doing some joke about Neil Young and. They were like really chatting on the front row, and I was like, "What's what's happening here, kids?" And they was like, "I'm just telling her about Neil Young." And I was like, "Well, if you're quiet, I'll tell you about Neil Young." You know? <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> That's my will do it. Um, uh, or I, uh, I had so like a really quite clever, really quite clever, but like I, um, you know, uh, a bit about um, Enid Blyton, and I sort of say, <laughs> really quite clever, so obnoxious. But I, um, 
it's not clever at all. I just say that I um I sound like I say like I don't make any dick jokes in the in the show because I sound like I'm in an Enid Blyton adventure and I sound like Anne in the Famous Five. And so if I made any dick jokes, they would be about my brother. Like this is my <laughs> this is my setup. So it's like and uh, and then one man really people were really like and then this one man was like was like what about Timmy? And I was like what? <laughs> and I was like what do you mean what about Timmy? He's like Timmy the dog as well. And I was is like right dick. Yeah. I was like. Yeah, I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, name every, how I feel about all the invited characters. But then I was like, but do you see, like, Timmy isn't a colloquialism for penis. So do you see what you've done isn't a joke? And people were really like, whoa! <laughs> um, uh, and then, like, the oh, I don't know. And, and so, yeah, lucky I'm not, the, the worst ones aren't, aren't that bad. I think it's just, like, saying something. Oh, I, oh, my God. I, I said some story about how, like... Um, Johnny Burrell from Razorlight had like claimed how many people he'd slept with and I was like well yeah we'd all sleep with Johnny Burrell like just for the story you know I was like and then I said something like you could be the most boring woman in the room um your name could be Carol and you could work in HR (laughs) (laughs) and if you told me you'd have sex with Johnny Burrell I'd be like let's get a drink or something like that very early on in my like this is such an early gig never did this material ever again also, I'd done this bit about a homophobic dolphin. I'm still doing weird characters <laughs> at this point. I'm trying to make these like big political points through the media with these characters, yeah. and everyone's like, "Stop doing this! Like, this is so weird." I'd done this bit about Jesus. I'd, uh, oh, I don't, I've done this bit about Jesus. I don't remember what it was. I've got PTSD from this. Anyway, I uh, and I said I made this joke about being called Carol. Woman on the front row is like, "I'm called Carol." Just like furious face, and she's like, "As I work in HR," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no!" And then I'd made this comment about it, this. I it was it was very much not a. It was just I'd said something about like, oh my god, it was about Palestine. But like, and then she she was like, "And I'm from Palestine." <laughs> and I was like, and I and I'd done this whole bit about those making this political point about Jesus, and I was like, "You go what?" Sorry. No, and she, and she said, "And I've got a dolphin." I've got a dolphin. Yeah, exactly. And I'm a dolphin actually. <laughs> and like, she just like I had just weirdly accused her of everything yeah. oh and I'd and I'd been sassy about social anthropology because mine is biological anthropology and I'd said social anthropology is incredibly boring all this like weird stuff it's not a joke it's just like a flippant and rude thing to say and again I don't like to do any of this ever again and this is why it's like you've got to keep going and trying your stuff out and be like okay never do that yeah. again and she was like and a social anthropologist and she said like come to see you because I knew you were an anthropologist and she was just and the whole room was just like ah like this it was like eat, everyone was yeah. like eating their hand and I'd like and I you know it wasn't as oh just awful it was just awful so that was sort of me being like maybe be less sassy you know and don't try and make these clever political you're yeah, not a yeah. clever political pundit you're really not just like just tell your just tell your dumb stories about what you did this afternoon you know <laughs> like that's and don't be mean about don't try and I think I was trying to still be high status and this like dumb thing about finding your status is such a weird thing on stage but like I was still playing it very high and I think the, the sooner someone was like just so you know you're very low like you're, you're actually a very low status person I was like oh am I and they were like yeah and that really changed everything for me and I was like oh okay I'll just tell you all these dumb embarrassing yeah. stories yeah. you know that I've got up to rather than trying to yeah. you know be clever and certainly don't be rude about poor Carol you know <laughs> poor woman I, I think it's probably like a lie. Yeah, no, she just, you know, when someone's like quite serious, she wasn't gagging, she just was quite a serious woman, yeah. you know, was very upset. <laughs> Oh no! Uh, never saw a stand up again. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm so sorry, Carol. And then Carol's a great name. So is HR. Well, well, great. Please do it. Please come to the show. Carol's actually my mom. She's here. And it's a wonderful <laughs> name. Oh my god! If imagine this whole thing was a very, very long yeah. con. <laughs> we did twelve years for a bit. Look at me today. And here she is. Uh, oh, Carol, I'm so sorry. Oh god, yeah. Anyway, so that so luckily no one's ever been horrible to me. Touch wood, but. Oh, well. 
I have managed to upset people. I've been horrible, horrible to people. people. Yeah. <laughs> Unintentionally, I was just trying to be cool. <laughs> well, uh, thanks very much. You're so welcome. It's awesome a pleasure fun. to come and talk oh, to you. This is so nice. 